0: The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about the Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? I got all kinds of props today. That's uh, one of our GO! initiatives, Northbrook Elementary. We get to go in every Wednesday and do a uh, kids' beach club where we get to preach the gospel to kids after school. Um, so if you're looking, if you have availability from about 2.30 to 4 on Wednesday afternoons and want to get involved investing in the life of a kid, it is an incredible thing. Uh, I don't know if you caught that, what, what Adam said on the video, but they have about 20 kids that regularly attend, and 15 of those kids have given their life to Christ this semester. Um, so it's, it's yes, yeah, that is awesome. Hi. Right. And it's, it's one that... that There's really very little preparation that you have to have going into it. You need to be praying, of course. You need to pray for those kids. Um, And I would challenge you, even if you never serve with Kids Beach Club, be praying for the kids in our schools. Be praying for our teachers. Um, and what goes on. and uh, So you can get involved with that. They're wrapping up this spring semester, and it will kick off again in the fall. So if that's something that, that you would like to get involved with and see it it's at the welcome table. And uh, we've got training and things that will happen. Uh, I've got a bucket up here. Um, you might have seen it in the lobby uh, at the table. But we've got a group going to Nicaragua this August on a mission trip. And what this is, this is a water filter that, that we can, uh, that we're taking down there And basically, it it doesn't come with a bucket, it just, it's an example. And if you want to try it out, I can find some muddy water, and it works. It's awesome. But basically, this will filter 200 gallons a day for 10 years. That's like a bazillion gallons of water, okay? Do the math. But uh, you can buy one of these at the, the table, and this, the money, the proceeds go to fund the mission trip for the people that are going, and it covers the cost of this water filter. In our uh, trip going down in the uh, when did they go down in the uh, fall last fall, to do a fact finding trip and meet the missionary and everything, uh, they took one, and the people in the village responded in a way that you would think we just gave them uh, electricity because they were able to have some clean drinking water for really the first time in that village. And so if you want to wanna be a part of that, um, the price varies. And let me explain the, why that varies. It varies because we have to cover the cost of the water filter, but anything you can give above the cost of that water filter helps get our team down there. So um, if you're interested in that, you can... Uh, see them at the welcome table. Not the welcome table. The welcome table is over there. There's a table set up specifically. It says go Creek Missions and you can go there. If you still want to go to Nicaragua, talk to them. and They may still be able to get you on that trip because we had enough people with interest that we were able to get a group by on the airfare and so they may be able to still squeeze you in. The cost is like uh, just under 1500 bucks per person so you can uh, get involved and do that. Today's Q-Fest, I don't know if you smelled it on the parking lot when you came in. Uh, Three o'clock today, here, bring your own chair and bring your appetite. There's going to be so much food, and I'm going to challenge something on that video. The best barbecue in Tarrant County, now I think it's the the universe. We'll just go that way. I don't know if there's a barbecue place on Mars, because we haven't gotten there yet, but I'm just saying, it'd be better, because there's just not good beef and pork on Mars. I'm just, I know that for a fact. Um, anyway, um, but today at three o'clock and so, uh, this is a great way to meet people at the Creek because, um, we tend to get in our service time and you know that you, you guys were waiting on the nine o'clockers to get out so you could get their parking spot and get their seat. And you're like, those people need to get out. Um, and then you can come in and, and get your place. And so it's easy to get caught up in this is the service we always go to and think that, that this is it. Um, And there's a a lot of people that you may... You may work with people that go to the creek that you don't know go to the creek because y'all really aren't talking about it at work, but you'll see each other at the Q-Fest. So it's a great time to get together to do that. So uh, let's get into this. Romans chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, meet me there. Romans chapter 8. If you have a hard time finding that, there is a table of contents in the front of the Bible. The book of Romans is in the New Testament. The big, chap, the big numbers are the, the chapters, so we're in chapter 8, and we're going to start verse 18, but I got to set it up. If you don't have a Bible, we keep some in the back cabinets for you, and uh, if, you don't, if you need to borrow one, borrow it. If you don't own a Bible, please, please, please write your name in that, and that is our gift to you. If you've got a smartphone, you can find us um, on the web. Uh, you can go to a free app called Version. You can Google whatever scripture. It's Romans 8, and it'll take you right to it. We teach out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. So there's a lot going on in Romans chapter 8. We've spent several weeks uh, in our, we, we've, this is like the 19th week we've spent studying the book of Romans, but we've spent quite a few weeks in chapter 8 because chapter 8 is a pivotal chapter. Everything, and 1 through 7 is building up to chapter 8, and then everything 9 through the rest of it looks back because of what we learned in Chapter 8. Chapter 8 is so rich with, with doctrine and some, some, some depth of theology that I felt like we needed to slow down and really start really understand what, what we're learning here. So we walk away from this time changed, not just saying, hey, we taught all of Romans chapter 8. So today's a really heavy passage, uh, and it's going to take us... Uh, To several other scriptures, and I did put those on the screen for you. The reason I don't put the scripture on the screen most of the time is I want you to have access to the Word of God. I want you to know how to navigate and find uh, scriptures in the Word of God and be able to take that home and kind of digest that, chew on that, instead of me just feeding the scriptures to you from the screen. But today, since we've got several that we're working through as a kind of adjunct to Romans 8, I put them on the screen because You'll see. You'll get there. I also put them in your note sheet so you can look those up later when you get home. Last week when we finished off that section, um, Paul made a comment that said, if we suffer with Christ, we will also share in his glory. And, and this glory that we talked about is a future glory, this, this hope of a future glory. And that's where we're going to pick up today. So it would be verse 18. But to set this up, we need to understand that suffering is real. The reason Bible talk, the Bible talks about suffering and pain is because God is honest with us. And it doesn't take us long to find a crisis. I mean, just this last week, you watched the news for a few minutes. I mean,. I've spent a lot of time praying for, for the people of Baltimore. I've spent a lot of time praying for the people of Nepal. that They expect the death toll to go over 10,000 now. I've spent time praying for our own communities uh, this past Sunday night with, with over 10 tornadoes touching down and millions of dollars in property loss and injuries. You never have to look far to find a crisis. You never have to look far to find suffering. And even in the life of a believer, you don't have to look far to find suffering. I know for a fact, and through conversations with, with, with people in our church community, that right now you're waiting on diagnosis from the doctor. You're waiting to find out if the spouse is going to stick it out. You're waiting to find out uh, what the situation is with your kids. I mean, there, there is no shortage of crisis even in the church. And I love that God is honest with us about suffering because I've seen people that, that come to faith, and it's really, I would say, a superficial faith because they think that because they put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus as their Savior, that they'll never endure this pain. They'll never face suffering. And the moment suffering hits, they walk away. And I, I think that's partly our fault as the church because we haven't been honest. God's honest with us. You don't have to read many scriptures to understand that God says, into this life rain's going to fall. You will suffer. Jesus said the world will hate you because of me. So you don't have to look far. But when we as Christ followers try to sell people Jesus and say, it's all good. You're never going to face anything. We're not giving other people the same level of honesty that God gives us. But in that honesty with God saying, but there's a lot of suffering, he says, but there is hope. And he gives us that hope. I mean, when Paul said, if we're going to share in his suffering, we're also going to share in his glory. Let's read what he's talking about. So this is verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I love that God gives us the honest level, uh, the honesty and truth that suffering is real. But he says, but there is hope. Andy Dufresne in Shawshank Redemption said, Remember hope, Red. It may be the best of things. Well, we know in Scripture that there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of those things is love. So I got to call Andy out on that. But hope is a powerful thing. When you look at hope, hope is the middle ground between the suffering of earth and the promises of God. That we, we're, we're kind of in this balance, and, and there's, there's a hope, and this hope lets us dare to, to have an expectation. Hope lets us see something different. Uh, hope let us see beyond the present to a better future. I've had several conversations even this morning about, about jobs and about big things happening in people's lives. That's causing a lot of stress, a lot of tension, a lot of worry. And it's easy to get wrapped up in that and think that that situation defines you. And hope lets us look forward and beyond that situation to say there, there is something better. And God's promises are true. Hope lets us dream. And, and, and biblical hope is very powerful because it's inseparable from faith. I mean, we tend to look at hope as something that's fleeting or I hope this happens, but hope allows us to have an expectation. You see, hope isn't dependent on what I can do myself. Hope isn't dependent on what you can do for me, and hope isn't dependent on what level of medical care I have available. Hope isn't dependent on the the network I have to get a resume out. Hope is not dependent on anything that I can do. Hope is dependent on what God has already done. When we look, we, we, we honor Jesus through the cross uh, through communion. We remember that. We look back and the significance of the cross and what happened on the cross. Jesus said it is finished. That all the, all the suffering will have a fulfillment. There was a joy that Jesus had as he endured the cross because he knew what it would produce. We see in Romans 5 what what suffering produces, ultimately produces hope. (coughs) And so we can live in that hope. If you break it down this way, that those who are in Christ, those who have put their faith and their hope and everything they have in Christ, we can dare have an expectation that God has something better for us. That this life isn't it. That whatever trial you're in, whatever suffering you're enduring right now, isn't the sum total of your life. God gives us a promise that the best is yet to come. And hope helps us see that. Hope helps us put our hands out and have an expectation that the best is coming. And Paul really breaks it down in this this passage about about two areas that that the best is coming for. The first one is is the best for creation. See, we live in a fallen world. I mean, we know the effects of sin. And you go back to Genesis and God created the world and everything in it. He spoke everything into existence. I love what one pastor says. that he He stepped into nothing and spoke everything in. And then when God stepped back from that, he said, it is good. When he had finished on the sixth day, he said, it is very good. Now, I I don't have the ability to create like God. I mean, he gives us the ability to create, but I can't do it at God's level. And yesterday, that just came glaring back in my face. Because we went to this place where they put a blank canvas in front of you. And they have this picture on the wall and say, that's what your picture is going to look like. No, it's not. That stresses me out. I mean, Heather knows. She had to listen to me whine the whole time because I'm like, there's no way I can make it look like that. I don't even have these colors on my plate. We'll, we'll help you. I mean, they understand, they understand that stress. And it's a place where you can paint and drink wine. And so they've got bells and like ding, ding. I'm like, look, I, I, I need some crack, okay? Because there is no way that my paint is going to look like that. I don't care what bell you have. I don't care what you're serving here. There's no, it's just not going to happen. And I'm stressed out. I'm freaked out. I'm getting stressed out and I'm just talking about it. I don't possess that ability. And so after two hours, I sit back and I look at this canvas and I'm like, it is not good. <laughs> it needs to hang on the inside of a dumpster. I'm just saying, and Heather's been all sweet. She goes, honey, that's really good. I'm like, yeah, for a kindergartner, okay? I'm a grown man. I mean, I should be able to do much better than this. It, it just, that just stresses me out. I'm getting sweaty now thinking about it. And, and uh, I had a lot of help and support around me. And everybody was encouraging. And then we got to make fun of each other. That was the best part. But, um, but God created everything and said it is good. And when he created man, he set man, he set Adam uh, and Eve to, be, to rule and reign over creation. For us to subdue creation. For us to have an authority over that. And then we know, based on Genesis 3, because of the fall of man and the sin that Adam and Eve encountered, and they they stepped into that there was a fall, there was a disconnect that happened between God and man, but that disconnect also happened between creation. Because creation is subjected to the futility, and here's what God said to Adam. He said, because of what you've done, cursed is the ground that you walk on. You will toil with the ground all of your days, and it will produce thorns for you. There will be a disconnect, and creation experiences the effects of sin. That this future glory, creation is groaning like in childbirth because creation knows that the best is yet to come. That because of this brokenness and the promise of God and the reconciliation of all things through the cross of Christ, that the best is coming. Now to get into understanding this, uh, you, you're going to have to go with me. Um, we're going to see the world restored in two stages. The first is when Jesus comes back, you will see a renovation. He's going to renovate this world when he comes back. Let me read to you uh, what it's going to look like when he comes back. This is Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And we remember the Christmas story of him coming in a manger and in humility. And when he comes back, he's coming in power. And he's coming in honor. And he's coming in glory. And he's coming to, he, he's bringing it. That's all I can say about that. That's the theological term for Jesus in return. He is bringing it. And what happens is he's going to establish a reign on the earth. It's the millennial reign. It's a thousand years where he will reign and rule on earth. And things will be different than now. And even creation looks forward to that. Because what we see in creation, let's go back to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read to you some of these, and then you can follow along on the screen. This is what creation is going to experience in this thousand-year reign with Christ. After he comes back, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear, bear shall graze, uh, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Let's keep going. Isaiah it gives beautiful Prophetic language for what this millennial kingdom is going to look like. Chapter 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Here's some more about it. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf, un, deaf unstopped. And, the, 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 and then shall the lame leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down the grass shall become reeds and rushes. i got to read you some more. Um, chapter 65. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die at hundred. Uh, for the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. What he's talking about? This isn't heaven, because we know that in heaven there's no death, there's no pain, there's no suffering, but there's a renovation that happens in creation when Jesus comes back and establishes a thousand-year reign. I know this is going to create questions. You can email me. We can sit down and talk about it. But what he's saying is that there will no longer be an infant who lives but a few days. And someone who dies at 100 is considered young. And the animals that are right now at war with each other will be able to lie down in peace together because creation is subjected to the effects of sin that man caused doesn't take us long to look at it. I mean, there's earthquakes, there's storms, there's tornadoes. It's the groaning of creation. It's the brokenness of creation that God says, this isn't the created order, but the reconciliation through the cross will bring it back. So you've got this 1,000 years. What happens after the 1,000 years? Well, then it's on. I mean, Jesus is bringing it, then it's on, okay? There is a great battle, and Satan is destroyed. He is bound up, he is tossed in the lake of the fire, and he is destroyed, and and the the victory is complete. See, Jesus has victory over Satan. Now, he holds the keys to hell. See, when when it's on, see, he's bringing it, and then it's on. He's taking the keys. He's like, all right, it's time for you to go, and you're going away forever. You will have no authority over anyone. You will have no authority over anything. You will not even have authority over yourself. And he's dealt with. And then all those will come before the throne for the great white throne judgment. And what's interesting in this is even unbelievers will be judged based on their deeds. Why? Because God is a just God. It's not a matter of getting into heaven because he says in Revelation uh, 21 or Revelation 20 that anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, will be thrown into the lake of fire. And so what happens at that point is what Jesus says in Revelation 25. He says, Behold, I make all things new. I'm making a new heaven and a new earth. And so it is completely restored. That means there is no there is no frustration in creation. That the groaning is, is done. I mean, you, you think about it a woman given birth, I have no way to even associate with that level of pain other than being beside my wife as it's happening and feeling uh, a sympathetic pain based on what she is going through. But what's interesting is we had another child. <laughs> that pain quickly gives way and you're willing to go through this again? Again? See, creation is going through the pains and the groans as childbirth, but it knows. Every created being knows. Even the trees can worship because it knows that the best is yet to come. That one day, when the creator, when the king of kings and lord of lords steps into this, it will be made right. And it's not just creation, but us also. The best is yet to come for us. We groan alongside of creation. We feel the frustration of sin. We feel what this brokenness is like. And I think we do, I think we we don't do justice enough of thinking about the glory that is yet to come. I think there needs to be a healthy balance. I mean, we can get so focused on what life is here now, and Jesus gives us, incredible wisdom, incredible hope, and incredible uh, sustaining power for the here and now. But I think we get so focused on this life that we miss our future glory. And then I know people that get so focused on their future glory that they miss everything in the world around them. I mean, they're just sitting there waiting for heaven. It's kind of like sitting in in a terminal and I've got my ticket and I'm just ready to get on that plane. There's some great conversations you can have with people in the terminal, by the way. But the best is yet to come for us because we know, we know that we will receive a glorified body, that all things will be made right, that one day I'm going to get a new body. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I I feel like I'm going to go from a Jeep to a Camaro, you know, (laughs) And I don't mean a nice Jeep. I mean like a 1972 beat up backwoods, been rolled a few times in the mud. I got a few dents in the fender. Isn't that a song? Um, and I'm going I'm, I'm to be a Camaro. I'm going to be a Z28. That's what I want to be. I mean, that's, oh, I'm going to have more horsepower than horses even know what power is. That, I'm speaking of my body. I mean, there's going to be things that, that are loose that, that will be tight. You know what I'm saying? And there are muscles that I have that are tight that, that will be loose. It's going to be awesome. Um, but, but I look forward to that day. But, but we live in what, what, what I call the, the already but not yet. I've already got a body waiting on me, but I'm not yet in it. I've already got a future home in glory, but I'm not yet there. If you think about it this way, it's I'm engaged, but I'm not yet married. I haven't been to the wedding feast of the lamb. I I have an adoption that God has adopted me and he is my father. But I've not yet stepped into his house. We live in the already and the not yet. We have an incredible inheritance that we have not yet laid hold of. So for now, we have hope. For now, we know that we are looking forward to a new body. Let me read to you. I love Philippians. I mean, can you imagine Paul's in jail, writing in Philippians, and he says this. <clears throat> but our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven, from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So that leads into a question: What happens to my body when I die? I do a, I do a lot of funerals, and, and funerals bring a lot of questions. And, and I have to say, as a pastor, when I do a funeral of a Christ follower, it is completely different than someone who does not know Christ. I, I cannot even give you a perspective on how to measure the level of peace that exists in a funeral of someone who knows Christ. And the level of questions and worry that comes when they don't know Christ. But I get questioned a lot when we're preparing for the funeral and meeting with the family. Where is my family? Where is my loved one? I mean, you go back to even John 11 with Mary and Martha and Lazarus dies and he's in the tomb. And Jesus says, your brother will live again and... They say, yeah, we understand that he'll live again at the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus is like, no, 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 he's going to live now. Jesus wasn't referring to him physically living. He called him out of the tomb and he was physically alive. But he's talking about he's living, he's alive. He will not experience death. So what happens to our body when we die? I believe uh, Paul said this in, in Corinthians when he said to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. So when I close my eyes on this side of eternity, I step into the presence of God. That my soul is fully alive and fully present with the Lord. But my body will be sown into the ground. I mean, Paul gives us some great instruction on this in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read to you what he says about the resurrection of the dead. Verse 35, but someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There's one kind for humans, one kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. They're heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. For the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. He's talking about the resurrection power in all of creation. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. What Paul talks about here, he says, in the last days, there will be a trumpet sound and the dead in Christ will rise. All these bodies that are sown perishable, will be raised imperishable. All of these bodies that are sown in weakness will be raised in power. They will be raised in glory. And what will happen is we will be in our new glorified body. That this soul that inhabits this wreck of a body right now will one day get a body that, that death and decay and pain and suffering and the effects of sin cannot touch. I think that's good news. I think that's part of the hope that when God says the best is yet to come, I'm excited about that, that I have something to look forward to, that when Christ returns, I can enter my full inheritance, new body, new heaven, new earth, everything, and the fullness of the adoption that we receive. Now, what Paul talks about, he says, we we have the first fruits here. What does that mean? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit gives us the spirit of adoption. That when we're made a new creation and we're brought into the already but not yet, I'm a new creation but I'm not in the new body. But God sees me as new. And he's given me this, the Holy Spirit testifies and has given me the spirit of adoption. And when Jesus comes back, The adoption is fulfilled. I have my standing as his son and then I get to live for eternity as his son. And the Holy Spirit was given as a deposit to us. See, if you buy a house, if you're going to go get an apartment, you're going to go get something, you've got to put a deposit down. And I'm weird with that because once I put the deposit down, it's mine. I mean, we bought our last house I want him to take the for sale sign as soon as I put the deposit down. Here's the deposit. Get that for sale sign down. Nobody else needs to look at this. Nobody else needs to go walking through my house. You're like, but you just put the deposit down. Yeah, it's mine. I'll go two-year-old selfish on it at that point. It's mine. I paid the deposit. The Holy Spirit's the same way. Jesus says, I paid for it. I paid for you. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm the deposit. You're mine. I am your guarantee. And the Holy Spirit gives us hope so that for every temporary suffering we know, the Holy Spirit gives us hope that that's going to give way to eternal glory. The Holy Spirit testifies inside of us this is not the end. This is not the sum total of who you are. This is not who your identity is. The best is yet to come. And I love when the Holy Spirit reminds me of that. Hey, it may stink right now. It may be tough right now. But you know what? The best is coming. The best is coming. The best is coming. Hey, let me share a story with you to close this out, to wrap this up. There was a, a pastor that got called to the home of one, of one of the women in the church. And she had been given a, a, a terminal diagnosis and her time was drawing short. And she called the pastor and said, I, I want to meet with you because uh, I want to help you plan my funeral. These are the scriptures that I want to share. These are the songs I want sung. This is how I want everything to go. It was a very tearful time and a very, very hard, heavy time. The pastor prayed with her and hugged her and as he cried because he knew this would be the last time he'd see her alive. And as he was getting ready to leave, she said, wait a second, I forgot one thing. He said, "What's that?" She said, "When my body is prepared to be put in the casket, and I lay my body's laid out for visitation and for the wake, and when everybody processes by my casket, I want you to do something for me, Pastor." He said, "What's that?" She said, "I want you to put a fork in my right hand." And he's like, (laughs) "All right." Um, Now it got weird. We had a great moment, but you, just, you took it to weird, lady. <laughs> and she could tell. He was like, you've just taken it to weird. She said, let me explain. She said, you know, growing up at church, when we would have picnics, we would have potlucks. The ladies that would serve would always come around and pick up our plate after dinner and would say, keep your fork because dessert's coming. Keep your fork. The best is yet to come. And she said, I want this fork in my right hand. And when everybody walks by my body, they're reminded that the best is yet to come. That although my body lays here, that I am with my Savior, and I'm enjoying the wedding feast of the Lamb, I am enjoying the fruits, I'm enjoying desserts, I'm enjoying the best of everything that God intended for me to enjoy. And I want you to remind every person at my funeral that the best is yet to come. I don't know where you're at today. I know where some of you are because you'll talk to me about it. But here's what I can say. There is hope. And the Holy Spirit pours hope into us. And the Holy Spirit sets that fork in our heart and says the best is yet to come. It may be tough right now, but that's not who you are. It may be difficult right now, but that's not your identity. You may be feeling like things are hard, but that's not who you are. You need to take heart, take hope, And take hold of a fork because the best is yet to come. And for those whose name is written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, we can grab a hold of this because this is a promise. I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to pray for hope to just flood your soul. And you're going to get a fork on your way out. And I want it to always be a reminder. Like Jesus said, every time you eat and drink, let it be a reminder of what I've done for you on the cross. Every time you pick up a fork, let let the Holy Spirit remind you, hey, you're on this earth, but the best is yet to come. It's coming. It's coming. Father, we love you and we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you place the best before us. We thank you that no matter what's going on, you tell us the best is yet to come. And so we ask for you right now to just invade our heart, invade our soul, invade our spirits, Lord, bring hope. You are the God of hope, and you bring hope to the hopeless. You bring rest for the weary. You bring peace for those who are in turmoil. And so, Father, I ask for that peace right now. I ask for that rest. I ask for that hope because every one of us faces trials. We face struggling. We face pain. We face heartache. And so, Father, I just pray that you help us to lay that down and say, Jesus, this is nothing but light, momentary troubles because I know the best is coming. And I'm going to walk through this with my fork in my hand and with the Holy Spirit testifying in my spirit that this is not it. That the best days are ahead. That the best is yet to come. And one day all things, all things will see the fruition of the reconciliation that was paid for by the cross of Christ and through His blood. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here that their name is not in that book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, that has been covered and written in blood, I pray right now for the courage to enter their spirit right now to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to define my identity. I need you to make me new right now. I need you to give me hope for a future. I need you to give me a cleaning of my past so that I can live looking forward, not backward at who I thought I was, but I can look forward knowing who I am in you. And Father, I pray that you give them the courage to talk to them at the altar this morning. That they will come up and share with someone that decision of faith. That, Father, that that no one will leave this room lacking hope. That they will take the steps to be prayed for and be prayed with. We love you. We thank you. We thank you that you give us hope. And I pray that we leave here with not just a plastic fork in our hand, but hope in the depth of our soul. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.